0: This is the CQ on Congress coronavirus special report. We are bringing you updates on the policy news you need to know using the reporting prowess of CQ Roll Call. I'm Sean Zeller. Today is Wednesday, July 8th. The U.S. reached a milestone today. More than 3 million Americans have contracted the coronavirus, while more than 134,000 have died the president is nonetheless making a full-court press for schools to reopen next month. The administration says the economy cannot start up in full until this happens. We will hear more about this later in the podcast. It is worth noting that, as the administration pushes for full-time classroom attendance, the nation's largest school district, New York City, announced today that students would return to classrooms only some of the time in the fall, spending the rest working online at home. We will also hear about how virus testing could greet workers returning to their job sites. But we begin tonight with a look at how members of Congress benefited from the Paycheck Protection Program. I spoke to CQ Roll Call's Paul Fontello about his investigative report. Welcome to the show, Paul.
1: Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Paul, you looked at the Paycheck Protection Program loans. These are loans that go that were created by Congress to help small businesses weather this crisis. And you found that some went to firms connected to members of Congress. What did you find?
1: Well, Sean, I found that there are a good number of firms that are linked to 12 members of Congress who listed some type of financial dealings or financial investment or holdings with these firms, either they they themselves or their spouses through their financial disclosures. I found that these 12 members are linked to firms that got about $13.7 million minimum for the uh, Small Business Administration database that was released earlier this week. And Paul, who, who specifically got the money? Which members? Devin Nunes, Kevin Hearn, Mark Wayne Mullen, Matt Cartwright, Mike Kelly, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, Rick Allen, Roger Williams, Rosa DeLauro, Scott Peters, T.J. Cox, and Vern Buchanan.
0: So in that list, we have Democrats, we have Republicans, we have very important and powerful members and others who are very junior in in the Congress. Did they own the firms? When we say they're connected to the firms, did they own the firms that got the money?
1: It varies in terms of connection. Uh, you have a lot of members who started firms that they are, are no longer associated with or they have some type of historical ties. For instance, Vernon Buchanan, and, and, and most of their offices um, told me that they are not involved in the day-to-day actual function of the firm's um, you know, Congressman Kelly's um, dealerships in, in Pennsylvania. Car dealerships? Car dealerships, that's right. Got got several PPP loans. And Congressman Kelly's relationship to those firms is not in, in a um, day-to-day maintenance, is what, what his spokespeople told me.
0: What about Speaker Pelosi? She's obviously the big name on that list. What did she get?
1: Uh, Speaker Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, is an investor and invests quite a bit in things here and there. He invested in in a hotel and restaurant company that both got PPP loans, uh, the total of which for the two companies was about $2.4 million. And according to Speaker Pelosi's finance disclosures, Paul Pelosi's investments in those companies are a minimum of $1.3 million.
0: Is there any evidence that the companies that receive money were not otherwise eligible for these loans, that they were not small businesses that the program intended to help?
1: Yeah, so uh, no one has suggested to me that these companies linked to the members of Congress are ineligible. Um, They run the gamut of of the industries uh, that are being hit by the coronavirus. We, We mentioned car dealerships. Not a lot of people are driving around right now. We have three members who had car dealerships or ties to car dealerships that were Recipients of PPP loans, plumbing firm, restaurant companies, uh, two two ties to agriculture.
0: Is there any evidence that the members designed the Paycheck Protection Program with their own companies in mind?
1: I haven't seen any evidence that um, members have designed anything like in order to shape legislation in response to COVID-19 um that would benefit their bottom line most of the offices that i've talked to said that the members weren't aware of the ppp loans actually just about all of the offices that i've talked to said that the members weren't aware that the ppp loans were being distributed to the companies
0: nonetheless some some activists you mentioned in your story for roll call on this that um, the project on government oversight an activist group here in washington Uh, is raising some ethical questions about this. What is their case?
1: Yeah, so, uh, Sean, they said that taxpayers should be keeping an eye out on on members if they're using their positions to kind of help their bottom line. Most of it ties back to this idea of shaping legislate. It's a big concern that if you're, you could be shaping legislation that ends up helping either you or your families and that could raise some um, ethical concerns and also, impact uh, people's abilities to work in the office and discharge their duties properly from a ethical standpoint.
0: Paul, thanks for sharing. Thank you, Sean. CQ Roll Call Parent Fiscal Note has received a Paycheck Protection Program loan. Now to Chief Correspondent Niels Lesniewski on School Reopening. The White House's Coronavirus
2: Task Force visited the Department of Education on Wednesday. And after having a meeting, they briefed reporters. As part of what seems to be a new new pattern of holding briefings off-site of the White House grounds, they've visited facilities in Rockville, Maryland, and the Department of Health and Human Services previously. Today, it was the Department of Education, where they were joined by Betsy DeVos and a number of members of the task force to discuss the plans for reopening schools in the fall. One thing that had become clear earlier in the morning was that President Donald Trump himself, who was not at the Department of Education, was not happy with the guidelines that were being put out by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The president had tweeted early in the morning that he disagreed with the, quote, very tough and expensive guidelines, And it then became clear at the task force briefing, according to Vice President Mike Pence, that the guidelines would be changing. The Trump administration is prioritizing reopening of schools, maybe even beyond that what local jurisdictions may want to do. And that's going to be the tension in the coming weeks. The administration is prioritizing continuing to reopen the economy and so the goal is to get as many students back in physical classrooms as possible uh, so that their you know parents can go to work and find a place other than having the, the children at home all fall, and they want to minimize remote learning. Secretary DeVos particularly mentioned the situation in Fairfax County, Virginia, which is a suburb of Washington, D.C., It has a high-performing public school system, uh, but they're planning on doing largely uh, limited duty or remote learning this fall. That's something that the secretary said would be unacceptable.
3: Ultimately, it's not a matter of if schools should reopen. It's simply a matter of how. They must fully open and they must be fully operational. And how that happens is best left to education and community leaders.
2: So now we're waiting to see what the new CDC guidelines will say and whether or not the administration will provide enough support to school districts to try and get students back into physical buildings. There frankly weren't a ton of answers on Wednesday as to whether or not there would be sufficient testing support and what exactly would be done to make sure there are adequate supplies of personal protective equipment. For say students, teachers, principals, school nurses, and the like, as we go towards reopening schools in the fall.
0: Getting back to work safely may require testing employees for the virus. Here's CQ Roll Calls Lauren Clayson on the murky picture emerging.
3: Coronavirus testing in the workplace could potentially be the next step in reopening the country, but no clear picture has emerged on what that might look like or who would pay for it. Surveillance testing, in which a group of people are tested routinely to catch undetected cases before an outbreak occurs, will be crucial in some areas as the country struggles to resume normal operations. A number of states are requiring nursing homes, for example, which have suffered the worst effects of the pandemic to test their staff routinely to avoid bringing the virus inside a facility. Some other types of employers are going it alone. Tyson Foods is voluntarily working on its own surveillance testing program after outbreaks shut down a number of packing and processing facilities. Executives told CQ Roll Call that ongoing testing programs would likely be based on the rate of spread in that particular community. A high rate of transmission from people without symptoms makes testing in close environments like meatpacking plants all the more important. At one Arkansas facility, Tyson found nearly 200 workers with the virus, but only one with symptoms. But federal guidance is limited, and ongoing testing can be costly, with most tests ranging from $100 to $150, not including logistical costs. The price is high for both profitable giants like Tyson, which can employ several thousand workers at a single facility, and for small, low-margin nursing homes that rely heavily on Medicare and Medicaid. The Department of Health and Human Services last month released guidelines allowing insurance companies to exclude coverage for so-called back-to-work testing, a move that angered top Democrats in Congress. Rising case counts are also beginning to overwhelm labs again, lengthening turnaround times and placing new pressure on the already strained supply chain. The federal government has worked to build up testing through support for commercial retail sites like CVS and community health centers. Brett Joah, who leads federal testing initiatives for HHS, envisions that surveillance testing will eventually move away from traditional healthcare settings and into public spaces like the workplace, with tests conducted in groups of five or ten to conserve costs and resources. Giroir said the guidance on pooling tests will be available by the time schools reopen in the fall. In the meantime, HHS is launching new free testing sites in Florida, Louisiana, and Texas to combat a surge in infections. Giroir said Wednesday that the department is also launching a fourth site in Phoenix, Arizona, in response to the city's worsening outbreak.
0: That's it for July 8th. Stay with us for all the latest policy news on the pandemic. For the entire CQ Roll Call News team, I'm Sean Zeller.